Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Welcome in into a money management edition of the Free Retiree Show. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside Silicon Valley veteran and interview coach, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And we are also alongside Silicon Valley's second favorite attorney today, Matthew McElroy. (laughs) What's going on? Nothing much. Well, today, Matt, I'm sorry. I had to give you the title of second favorite attorney in Silicon Valley. You're generally number one, but... It's okay. I'm okay with it. We have a, we have a <laughs> very special return guest, the one, the only, Nina Decker, estate planning extraordinaire, Silicon Valley's favorite attorney over Matt McElroy. And guys, are you guys impressed that we got Nina back? I mean, I thought we would have scared her off from the, the last recording we did. This, this is amazing. This is our second person who's come back? Yeah. Surprisingly, I I didn't think we'd have any returns. I, you know what? I mean, I think we, we had Nate Johnson, the CMO of realtor.com. He is, he was a return, our first return guest. And Nina, I think is our second. So, I mean, we don't have a good ratio of people that return to the free retiree show, but man, we got to be grateful that she's coming back on the show. It's a good day, boys. Good day. Yeah. Nina, you hold a specialization, right? That's right. I'm a certified specialist in trust, probate, and estate planning. So in the, in the legal world, that, that's pretty badass. So. <laughs> so I assume you do not have a certification. I, I do not. I'm actually working towards some, but I do not have any. Nice. Good Lucky we got Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, <laughs> Nina Decker, today. <laughs> <laughs> she deserves it. <laughs> All right. So for today's topic, we're going to be talking about something that we've got a lot of requests about lately. Uh, Prop 19. So. For a lot of you, don't turn off the episode because although Prop 19 sounds boring, it impacts so many people. So who is this episode for? If you are thinking of buying a piece of property in California, this episode is for you. If you are over 55 years of age and thinking about relocating in California, this episode is for you. If you might inherit a piece of property from parents living in California, this is probably going to be for you. Or if you know someone that is disabled or impacted by wildfires and buying real estate again in California, this episode is for you. So this is a great episode. Sounds like a boring topic, but Nina, why don't you give us an explanation of what Prop 19 is? Thank you all for having me back. I'm very excited, uh, contrary to popular belief, to be joining the Free Retiree Show again. Um, So Proposition 19 is a ballot measure that passed in November. It became effective here in 2021, and it has two major components. And those components are changes to the way that property tax is dealt with on inherited homes 
and the ability for seniors over 55, certain uh, natural disaster victims and certain disabled people to take their current property tax value or base to another property within California. Okay, so Nina, when this was coming out and I saw a lot of the commercials, this, if you saw the commercials on social media or on TV, it was kind of run like, this is going to help a lot of people that are older that want to relocate in California. They're going to be able to take their property tax base with them. It's going to only people really negatively impacted are going to be the, the rich people. And I even saw a commercial about this. Like if you're the wealthy people that are giving their families uh, apartment complexes and shopping malls, they're the ones that are going to be impacted. Now, is that true? Is that is this accurate how the commercials have been running and the campaign has gone for this prop? Well, great point. So the commercials with respect to the ability for the seniors and, and natural disaster victims to take their property tax base somewhere else, that was the primary focus of some of the commercials because it sounded so great. Why wouldn't we expand the ability for people that have suffered a natural disaster to be able to take their benefit that they had from their old house into their new house? It makes perfect sense. Uh, and then the advertising with respect to the other component, I saw the same ads. It made me laugh. They focused a lot on what they called trust fund kids and East Coast investors and made it sound like uh, these high-flying, super wealthy people are the only ones affected by this change. But what I've seen in practice now that I've experienced several people that have been dealing with Prop 19 is that, in fact, this change to the inherited homes property tax rule affects just about anybody who's inheriting a home. And it makes a particular impact here in the Bay Area where the appreciation that we've seen over the last several years is astronomical. So it's not just the trust fund kids and the East Coast investors. Can you give us kind of like an example of the way it previously was? Because it was under Prop 13 where there would be like a, a parent-child exclusion and things like that, where they could transfer an asset or pass it, inherit it, and it, um, the property itself would not be reassessed. That This changes that completely now, right? And That's absolutely right. So I will describe the rules before and after so that you can see the contrast. But before I do that, I'd actually like to hit some vocabulary because I know that this can be a tough topic. It's a lot of talk about tax. And I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. And really, what I'm going to be saying the most today and talking about is um, this idea of property tax basis. And there are different ways to describe this. You could call it the base year value of the home. You could call it the assessed value of the home. But when I say assessed value, what I'm talking about is the value of the home on the property tax bill for the purpose of property taxes. And just to contrast this, there's also the fair market value of the home, which is what you'd sell it for, You know what Zillow says. So those are a couple of the things I'm also going to be talking about reassessment. And what I mean by that is whenever there's an ownership change for a home, the property is reassessed. And that means that the assessor is going to determine a new value for the purpose of payment of those property taxes. So does that make sense? Totally, yeah. Good. So 
like you said, Matt, the rule before was that if somebody was inheriting a home in California and a parent was passing on a primary residence to a child, that primary residence would be completely excluded from reassessment. So what that means is when the child inherits the home, they get to keep mom and dad's property tax bill to keep it simple. So if mom and dad bought their home eons ago and their assessed value on their property tax bill is $100,000 and they're only paying property tax based on that value, kids get to keep that. And the thing about the previous rules is also that the child could use the home any way they wanted. So parent gives a primary residence to a child, child decides to rent that home out or child decides to live in that as their primary residence. It didn't matter. Um, they got to keep mom and dad's property tax bill. Now, the previous rules also had some benefits for secondary homes. And I think that this is where some of that advertising came in and was trying to hit. The previous rules also provided that a parent could pass on a secondary property, whether that's a vacation home, a rental home, something else, a parent could pass on that property to a child and have some credit towards reassessment. And so the credit was that they could transfer up to a million dollars in assessed value of a secondary residence without that being reassessed for property taxes. And so what I mean by that is that in the previous example, we were talking about, all right, what if the home had an assessed value of $100,000? That's the value on the property tax statement. That credit of a million dollars for secondary properties includes assessed values. So the assessed value of the secondary property was $100,000. Great. That's well under a million. No reassessment on that property. So Essentially, what we're saying is that people who have lived here forever had the ability to transfer their primary residence and maybe even more than one secondary residence to their children without there being a reassessment. That's huge. So the kids are getting kind of, the kids are the loser in this, based on what I'm hearing. Like, the new one, yeah. <laughs> the new kids. Like, it seems like generations of kids were like, you know, lucking out. But now this next crop of people, like if I have a... If I inherit a house from my parents next year, that property tax bill is going to be much higher than what they paid. That's absolutely right. Okay. That's absolutely right. So you can see how the rule was before. It was pretty generous in terms of parent-to-child transfers. I will say that I'm going to use the term parent-to-child transfer to keep things simple, but this rule also applies to certain grandparent-to-grandchild transfers, but you have to meet certain qualifications for that. So to keep it simple, I'll say parent-to-child. So now the new rules. Before I move on, any questions about that? Does that make sense, the old rules? Makes sense. To makes me. sense, but now I'm wondering what I voted for. Because <laughs> now, like, now I'm like, dang, did I screw myself? You probably did. I think a lot of people did in this situation. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to help fire victims? It's just perfectly logical. But the, and that's the thing is I think that a lot of the advertising didn't center around what would actually happen with respect to these inherited homes, because now the rules have changed. And as of February 16th, what the law now says is that there's a new hurdle, first of all. The parent must be transferring a primary residence to the child, 
and the child must use that home as their primary residence. So first of all, if the child is not going to use the home as their primary residence, if they live out of state, if they were planning to rent it, they are not going to receive any benefits. So let's assume that we've cleared that hurdle. We've got a parent transferring a property to a child and both will be using it as their primary residence. Now we are not doing a full exclusion from reassessment. So before it didn't matter what the values were of that property. It just mattered that it was a primary residence and it was going to a child. So now we've got a credit towards reassessment for that child. And so what we're saying now is that if the transfer has met the qualifications, child gets a partial exclusion from reassessment and that is up to a million dollars. And so just to kind of describe that a little more, I've got the formula here in front of me. What we would look at is the assessed value of the home, the value on the property tax statement and the fair market value of the home. If the difference between those two numbers is less than a million, then great, child gets to keep the parent's property tax basis. So for people that are in that category, they may not be affected by Prop 19 the way some people are. And I wanna illustrate this example just to show you the contrast. And so I have a couple of examples just to make it a little clearer. So let's say that we've got a house that a child has just inherited. It's worth 1.4 million and mom and dad's assessed value on the property, the value on the property tax bill is 500,000. So 1.4 million fair market value minus 500,000 assessed value is 900,000. So this is less than a million. And so that means that this child gets to keep mom and dad's property tax basis um, of 500,000. So that person, lucked out. Um, but they still do have to be using it as their primary residence. So they do have to still clear that hurdle. Now, how about an example where somebody is partially affected by this? Um, I've got another one that's slightly similar. So now let's say we've got the home, the fair market value of the home is 1.6 million, um, just a, a couple hundred thousand dollars more. And the assessed value is 500,000. This time, the difference between 1.6 million and 500,000 is 1.1 million. So here, the, the value is greater than a million. The difference is greater than a million. And so we've got an extra 100,000 um, over that million dollar exemption. And so now child's new property tax basis is 600,000. That's the fair market value of 1 million minus 500,000, um, they've got an extra 100,000 and so it's 600,000. Does that make sense? I know this is oh, a yeah, of the formula. I was thinking of like a workaround if I was a kid in this situation, you could like, could you like undersell that, the property? <laughs> and then, cause why are you gonna be paying more in property taxes over time? It's, if you like it's not so much what you sell it for, it's what the appraiser would determine the market value is. Uh, I was thinking yeah. if you sold it for like, 900 instead of 1.1 right your dad your dad is a 
an appraiser, right? Yes, he is. Yeah, he's a- could, could we slip him like? Tw- oh, wow. Could we slip him? Could we slip him like twenty bucks? <laughs> right. Could we slip him like twenty bucks uh, yeah. and him uh, say the house is worth like a hundred thousand? No, he's, he's one of those. Uh, he, he's the uh, <laughs> the above board appraisers that's nitpicky and anal on all the details, and uh, he likes. He he actually has served as an expert witness in a bunch of trials to like pick apart other people's appraisals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he lo- that's what he likes to do. <laughs> so those examples that I gave you, I know that those were really in the weeds. But what I wanted to show you is that some people won't necessarily be affected by Prop 19. But here's a more likely example. Maybe these numbers are a little outrageous, but I want to illustrate how much how this can affect people and how strongly it can, especially for our higher valued homes where mom and dad have lived there forever. Um, let's use one with more round numbers, nice and easy. So what about mom and dad have the $500,000 property tax basis on their property tax statement, but they've lived in the home for eons. It's in Palo Alto or Los Altos. And let's say the fair market value is now $10 million. So here, again, what we're going to do is fair market value of $10 million minus 500,000. That's obviously greater than a million. And so now what we're looking at for this child is their new property tax base, which is going to be fair market value of 10 million minus that million dollar credit. So for homes that have appreciated exponentially, I like to describe it as a credit. You've got a million dollar credit towards reassessment. So here in this case, the new basis for this child is going to be fair market value minus that million dollar credit. So that's $9 million. So here, the difference between mom and dad's $500,000 assessed value and uh, the new property tax basis of 9 million, you can see how that child is definitely not getting any benefit or they're getting somewhat of a benefit, they're getting a credit but maybe it doesn't matter if you can't afford the property taxes on a $9 million home. Yeah. They're getting a $9 million property too, or $10 million. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, do I have empathy for this kid in this situation? Yeah, it's hard to feel too bad way. for them, but <laughs> you may not feel too bad for them. That, that, and that example is a little ridiculous, but what I saw most often when prop 19 first went into effect is people in this position where the home has appreciated to 3 million or 4 million and mom and dad moved there a long time ago. And so they're able to afford the home because they've lived there for generations. You know, I saw so many clients who purchased their home for $50,000, you know, in the seventies or the Mm sixties, they bought it for a hundred thousand. They bought it for 40,000 and now it's $3 million. I've seen lots of examples like that. And what that means for those people is that their neighborhood has changed a lot and there's no way that they could just walk into that neighborhood and buy a home and be able to afford those property taxes. And if their children are in that same position, now what their children are looking at is, I don't get to keep mom's $100,000 property tax basis. I am now in a position where the fair market value of $4 million minus a million is $3 million, And I can't afford the property taxes on a $3 million home. So, so much I have bigger no bill. choice. Yeah. 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 yeah and these, these situations, these people aren't necessarily wealthy. They just timing, right? It was like they bought their $50,000 house and then it's in Palo Alto, right? So then the new wave is like stuck. 
Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. And the examples I like to provide these kind of big examples to show uh, what the, how giant the difference is. But I will say there are lots of people that I worked with in San Jose where the fair market value of the home minus a million dollars, you know, it, we're not talking 10 million or anything, but they were still in a position where their children would be priced out because of that increase in property taxes. And so politically speaking, people feel different ways about that. But this is the bottom line for Prop 19 is that a lot of people didn't realize how this would affect them and what this change would mean for their family. So is there is there like an alternative? I know that sometimes people like, I don't really know much about it, but I know people use like sometimes entities like a family limited liability partnership or something like that as a vehicle to pass property. Is there, is there possible workarounds for people that want to try to preserve that tax basis? It's possible. And the reason for that is that entities do have their own reassessment rules. And so there are ways to try to structure that so that the percentage of ownership with the parents and the children are such that there's never a, a change in control where somebody owns more than 51% of the entity and they'll attempt to delay that reassessment for as long as possible by creating an entity where everybody owns the home in a certain percentage or owns the entity rather in a certain percentage and the entity holds the home. So this is something that's possible, but the problem is number one, like I said, entities have their own rules for reassessment. And so you have to keep that in mind. Sometimes putting a property in an LLC doesn't take away the fact that there will be a reassessment when there's a change in ownership. The other thing is gifting considerations. So lots of parents have asked, well, should I just go ahead and, and put my child on title to the property now? Uh, or should I create an entity and have them be partial members and own the home that way? Maybe, but if you put your child on title to your home, you're making a gift. You're making a gift of whatever interest you've put them on title for. Lots of people ask that. They say, can't they just put me on title? Well, yeah, but it's more than just filing a deed. It's a gift. And if that gift is more than $15,000 in value, then you will have to file a federal gift tax return. So there's these gifting considerations too. And so there's a lot tangled into this when it comes to planning for it. And there can be some pretty heavy tax implications from giving a gift like that, right? Yeah. And right now the federal gift tax exemption is quite high. It's $11.7 million, but any gift that you make during your lifetime is going to ultimately count against what you're able to pass on at your death. And I know that the federal estate tax exemption and the federal gift tax exemption are things that uh, people are always looking to change, whether making it more or making it less. That's something that comes up every election cycle. And so if the federal gift tax or estate tax exemption went down to $5 million, for example, the amount of gifts you can give is, is much less. So again, sometimes for some people, this isn't affecting them. Um, for some people, it really is. But you're right. Uh, there can be big consequences to making gifts. Um, there's also capital gains tax consequences to making gifts. And so when Prop 19 passed, in that window of time between when it passed and when it became effective, there were a lot of people asking lawyers like myself, 
what they could do. And some people chose to make a gift of property now because they thought, all right, you know, my child does plan to live in this home forever. There's no way they could afford it if I passed away and, and they were under the new Prop 19 rules. And so I'm going to go ahead and gift them my property now. Some people did that, uh, but that isn't an option for everybody. And it's not the right choice for everybody too. Yeah, you can open up a whole can of worms there with having somebody on title. Uh, they can bring a partition action or, you know what I mean? And creditors. Yeah, cred yeah creditors too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So you can see how big of a change it was. I, I know it's pretty number heavy, but uh, that's really the, the biggest effect as far as the inherited homes. Now, just to circle back, remember I talked about how secondary homes could also have some kind of benefit as well? that's gone. So there is no credit, no benefit, no exclusion from reassessment for anything other than the primary residence. So if you're passing on the rental property or the vacation home to a child, it will be reassessed to whatever the value is at the transfer, at the, the change in ownership. I'm just curious, like prior to this prop passing, this whole re idea of reassessment was never a thing in California? Well, there's always a reassessment for, for people when there's for a property tax. Change. Sorry. Yeah. 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 There's always a, a reassessment at a change in ownership. And so I, I guess I should say that the ground rule is when there's a change in ownership, there's a change in um, the property tax value. So, you know, if you owned that home and you bought it for 50,000 and then you sell it to a new family, their property tax basis is based on the value now. Whatever so value. anytime there's a change in ownership that happens, but the government has carved out certain exceptions to that rule. And one of those exceptions is parent to child transfers. And so, yes, you're correct as to parent to child transfers. Before Prop 19, there was no reassessment on a primary residence going to a child. Got it. That's helpful. One scenario that I'm thinking about that is really interesting, you mentioned that to avoid the reassessment, you know, you have to make it your primary property, but families with multiple siblings, right? You know, what does that look like? I mean, Serge, Matt, you guys know my sister, Lonnie. I mean, <laughs> if we lived together, she would stab me. She would stab me. She would stab <laughs> me with a knife right through the eyes. Like, I just know it would happen. You know, so. We love you, Lonnie. Lonnie's awesome. for listening. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are saying this out of fear, but it's okay. She's definitely the smartest in the family. <laughs> but those scenarios make me laugh because I think about, you know, you know, what if, you know, Matt, you and uh, your brother lived together for a while. And I know you had some great stories there, but what if you guys had to live together? We, we have lived together. I mean, it worked out so well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, isn't the, aren't those like legitimate concerns right now? I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before, let's say that a property gets transferred to two children, they own it equally, and they want to use it as a rental property. Both of those children qualified for the parent to child transfer. And before it didn't matter how the child used the property. So wonderful. They own the house 5050, they rent it out, they split the proceeds 5050. And they're paying mom and dad super low property taxes. So the amount of money that they're making is greater, their profits are greater too. Now, the problem is the child must use the property as their primary residence. And so in a case of two siblings, for example, either one takes the house and one takes the cash, but if that's not feasibly 
if that's not feasible or that's not possible and they decide to own it together, the only way that they would both qualify for any kind of credit is if they both used it as their primary residence. And since that's unlikely, if one child, if the child, if the property gets transferred to the children and they own it 50-50, one might qualify for a credit, but the other won't. And so there's another case of increasing the property taxes. That seems kind of unfair. So, yeah, yeah, big change. So you, do you think that, because, you know, this is obviously a huge impact to like people's like income properties, right? That parents may pass to their children and things like that. Do you think that that's going to cause more um, people to look to entities and things like that to, to, to hold title to these income properties because of this? I think you're right. I think people are looking for creative strategies to plan with certain types of irrevocable trusts or certain types of entities. But the issue with that is in some cases, we don't necessarily know where the law is going to go. And some of the questions with respect to enforcing Prop 19 are still up in the air. And so, yes, I do think people will look to alternative planning methods, some of which might work and some of which might really not help that much. Um, It might help for a little bit, but not too much. And so, of course, every situation is different. And working through that is part of what I do. But um, you're right. I think people will. People are trying to find any way to make this better. But I think ultimately, it might just also lead to more turnover in the real estate market. And that was uh, one of the, the primary things with this measure, this proposition is that if there's more turnover in the real estate market, there's more money, there's more property tax coming in. And so I think, you know, in the situation that we were talking about with the children owning the home 50-50, they might just decide it's too complicated or that they can't afford the property taxes or that, you know, they want to use it as a rental, but with the reassessed property taxes, their profit would be low. So they're just going to sell it. Yeah. I could see a situation where that, you know, they say two people inherit one property and one lives in it qualifies for the exclusion. The other doesn't, doesn't qualify for the exclusion, you know, gets, you know, the bad tax. And then like, I can't afford this. And then they have to partition or force the sale of the property just because the, t- the tax basis alone. Yeah. And not to mention that even the child that qualifies for the exclusion might still be in a position where the credit of a million dollars that they're getting doesn't make a dent in the bill enough for them to make a profit or enough for them to be able to afford it. Like we were talking about where um, if the fair market value minus a million is still $3 million, that's a lot to afford. Yeah, so it's huge. you're right. We didn't mention the true winner from uh, Prop 19. Now, uh, Nina and I talked about this before. We recorded, but you guys know the true winner for uh, Prop 19? Which professional? Um, the lawyers. Nope. Well, maybe lawyers. Yeah, probably lawyers <laughs> in a little way, but but uh, realtors. Oh, okay. realtors. So they have more sales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was pushed by uh, the, the National Realtor Association. Uh, they were the main sense. people driving this. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Because people won't want to pay more commission. Yeah, they won't want to pay the property tax, right? So then they're just going to sell. Is that that? Is that the or idea? They'll be forced to. Yeah, yeah. That's because that's the thing about it. That's probably a huge reason of why people even hang on to these properties is the low tax bases. And if they don't have yep. that, what's mm-hmm. the what's the point? Especially if they can't afford it. Now they're going to give it to the realtor, and get, they're going to get the commission. And yeah, so it's going to work out great if you're in that profession. <laughs> 
Well, I got a great question that came in. This is actually from my father-in-law. So shout out to Eric Torres for giving us a wonderful case study question. So Nina. Sucking up right now? Of course, I have to. He's my father-in-law. But he's amazing as well. (laughs) So Nina, is it okay if I read this question to you? Absolutely. Okay. So this is a really interesting one. So I currently live in a home with a split title between my two brothers and myself. This is one of two properties purchased in the 1980s. My brothers and I inherited after my parents passed away. Either property does not have a mortgage. We will be selling the home this summer and splitting the proceeds three ways. After we sell the home and disperse the funds, I will be purchasing a home in San Diego. Will I be able to claim the lower property tax rate from the home sold to the new property? How much of a home can I buy to keep the same tax exposure? Is there a period I can keep the tax rate if I don't buy right away? Um, it sounds like your father-in-law is looking for free legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> so That's a very specific question. <laughs> well, it's a great segue into the other part of Prop 19, the other component of it, which is this ability to take your property tax base to another home. Now, this rule is saying that if you are over 55, like we said, if you have been a victim of a certain natural disaster, if you are disabled, then you're able to take your previous property tax base to a new home uh, within California. The previous rule said that you could only do this once and it was only within certain counties in California. And so now eligible individuals can do this up to three times and they can go anywhere in California. So in this scenario that you brought up, Lee, I think that that expanded rule means that we don't have to look up and see if San Diego County is on the list. And um, this is helpful for people who want to downsize, but are in a position where they can't afford higher property taxes um, or they need a new home uh, for other reasons and they can't afford it because of property taxes. So the rule here is that we have to go primary residence to primary residence. So I'm not sure if your father-in-law meets that criteria. Is that, is that his primary residence, that home? Currently it is. It is. But not okay. the brother's. Not the brothers. Yeah. And I was thinking about this beforehand and I thought there's still a lot of open questions with how this works. And I was thinking, all right, so he has to go primary residence to primary residence. So if the current home is his primary and the new home in San Diego is his primary, then he's met those rules. But then the question is, is he able to take this tax base, even though it's split amongst three other people? And or two other people, I suppose. And so that's where there's still an open question. And I was thinking it may work if all three brothers purchased a new home in all three of their names. But I know that's not what your father-in-law intends to do. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that he would be able to take that partial ownership and apply that to a new primary residence and keep that property tax bill, especially if the other brothers are not doing the same thing. I've got some examples with this one as well, trying to illustrate 
how people can save. Do you want to hear them? Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> okay. All right. So all of my examples are based on things I've seen with clients and, and hopefully that's something that everybody can extrapolate. Um, but all right. So let's say mom lives in her home. It's in Palo Alto. She's owned it since 1980. She got a $300,000 assessed value on the homes. So she's paying about 3,600 a year in property taxes, just, just for example. Um, meanwhile, that home that she bought way back when, well, 1980 is not way back when, by the way, I will say. Um, but that home that she bought back then is now $3 million. So she wants to move to a condo to be closer to her daughter. Um, but she's concerned that the property taxes will be too high. Well, under Prop 19, uh, she can take this previous tax base. So let's say she's interested in a condo that is worth $2 million. So for anybody else, you know, if I want to go buy that condo, my property taxes might be $20,000 a year or more. But under Prop 19, mom can take her assessed value on that Palo Alto home to the new place. And so she gets to keep her property tax bill of $3,600. She's moved into a home that's of lesser value than her Palo Alto home. So she gets to keep her property tax bill. She gets to live in this $2 million condo and everybody's happy. Now, one of the things that I think your father-in-law asked about was how this credit works and what happens if the home is of greater value. I seem to recall that was a, a part of the question. And this is another benefit to Prop 19 as well. Before, the rules before said that, you know, you're only getting this benefit on a home that's of equal or lesser value. So in my previous example, mom's home in Palo Alto was worth $3 million. Her new condo was worth $2 million. So wonderful. She could do that before Prop 19 and after. But so now with Prop 19, there, you're able to kind of blend your, your old rate with your new rate based on the uh, new value of the home. Uh, and if it's greater, then that's okay. It might still be affordable. And so the example here is, all right, let's say mom's in San Jose. She's got an assessed value of $250,000. She's had the home since 1980 and she wants to move closer to her grandchildren. So she sells the home in San Jose for 2 million. That's the new value. So good for her. Um, and she buys a new home for $3 million. All right, so now she's got a home that's more expensive than her previous one, but we're going to just essentially add the difference to her current property tax bill. And so we look at, all right, she sold her home for 2 million, she bought her new one for 3 million, and so we're adding that increase in value to her current property tax bill. And what that means is that her current property tax bill would be a million dollars, that's the difference in value, plus her old property tax base, which was 250000 So mom's new property tax base at this new home is $1,250,000. So she is definitely paying more property taxes than she was when she was working with an assessed value of 250000 She's now paying based on a home uh, she's paying property taxes as if the home were worth 1.25 million, but that's still better than a complete and total reassessment 
where if mom wanted to move into the $3 million home, um, she, she might be in a position to pay a totally reassess property taxes based on a $3 million value. So you can see that people that are in this position, the, the seniors and other eligible individuals, they get this blended tax rate if they're buying a more expensive home, they get to keep their old tax rate if they're buying a less expensive home. This is a really interesting topic, but all, all the things that are happening here, how do we, Right now, maybe there's limited planning options at this point in time since it's so new, but let's talk about why it's important to talk about what's going to happen when, say, you know, the gender, your parents pass away and plan for this. Uh, one thing that I know since you're an attorney, Matt's attorney, I'm sure you guys are very familiar with, you know, siblings battling, family members battling over issues. Do you think it's a good time to, since this prop has come out, to have a game plan to meet with your attorney and discuss how you're going to handle this, these new changes? Absolutely. I, I think that's the best thing you can do because as you have seen from these examples and everything I've talked about, this is really formula heavy. It's very dependent on your specific situation, your specific family members, how many siblings you have, whether mom and dad have an estate plan. And so because it's so situation specific, you definitely should figure out how does this affect me? What does the picture look like for me and my kids or me and my family? And what, if anything, can we do about it? Awesome. So, you know, how can people reach out to you? You can reach me. I'm at Kramer Rain and Law Firm. You can call me there, 650-941-8600, or email me, my last name, Decker, D-E-C-K-E-R, at KramerRadin.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Nina, for coming on our show today. This was a very enlightening topic. We enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Thank you all for having me again. And I'm hoping that our next topic is a little less tax heavy. <laughs> Thanks, Nina. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now. information provided from Nina Decker is not legal advice and it's intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, www.finra.org, SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career advisor Sergio Patterson, attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax investment or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. 
You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.